thank you, uh, Amelia and uh, Isaac. You did a great job. I was really, really impressed. Let me lead us in prayer um, as we start. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Thank you for all the people that have worked so hard in the past in our lives and brought this gospel to us. Father, as now we return to your word, we ask for your spirit to enable us that we may listen carefully and understand it and live our life in a manner worthy of according to what we see. And we ask in faith that Jesus said, Amen. Well, thank you so very much for uh, the opportunity to come and to share God's word with you, especially the very last part of what has been a long series on one Corinthians. I don't know if you remember, but uh, when we started um, this series back in April last year, we broke this up into three parts. Uh, we looked at verses, uh, chapters, chapters, uh, so chapters 1 to 4, and then 5 to 11, and uh, uh, we dealt with many very heavy theological issues such as wisdom, humility, sexual immorality, church discipline, marriage, idolatry, to name a few. This final part, chapters 12 to 16, which we have been looking at for the past 10 weeks, has been just as theologically rich and heavy and diverse as the first two parts we looked at uh, some interesting topics such as the nature of the church and the body of Christ. We considered the issue of using various uh, spiritual gifts that God has given us. We looked at the edification of the whole church. We looked at the tongue speaking and the gift of prophecy and why the gift of prophecy is a higher gift and translate. We look at how love is the most excellent way to use this. We look at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and our hope that springs from it. I don't know about you, but for me, this letter has been encouraging, thought provoking, rebuking, and reassuring in all its blazing glory. But you might find the final chapter that we familiar read for us. The passage for us today, but rather a bit anticlimactic because it seems quite mundane and quite trivial. At first glance, Paul seems to be randomly mentioning bits and pieces of unrelated and largely private personal topics, and the same seems most irrelevant to us in our Christian walk. He talked about money, and he talked about his travel plans, he mentioned some names and of the people and the passing of, the, of their dreams. And that's pretty much it. What are we supposed to glean from this chapter, you might ask? You might even be tempted to excuse yourself from skipping past this chapter altogether. But can I suggest that you look again more closely and carefully at these seemingly innocuous words? In what Paul says about these seemingly mundane and ordinary issues, we find how Paul's and conviction shape his thinking and grow his life. We see the genuine faith in action in these verses. We see his unflinching commitment to his Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, right to the very end of this letter. So we'll begin by looking at the final four verses of this whole letter. Verses 21 to 24. Have a look at them in your Bible and follow with me. I, Paul, write these right greetings with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord 
will come. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. You know, in these short, short, four verses, he mentions the Lord Jesus four times. And you can see that he's not just using Jesus' name for the sake of mentioning it. He says in verse 22 that anyone who does not love the Lord Jesus be eternally condemned. He didn't say this because he's driven by hatred for the one On the contrary, we read back in chapter 9 that he was prepared to become all things to all men so that by all possible means he might save some. Now in this verse we see his love for the Lord Jesus and his passion for his name being honored and glorified. And you see how Paul longed for Jesus' return. He yearned for the grace of his master abundantly lavished upon his Corinthian friends. These final words about the Lord Jesus go hand in hand with what he said right at the start of the letter. This is what he wrote in chapter 1, verse 23. Turn your Bible to it at the front of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, to those who are called by Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And everything everything that Paul wrote between these opening and closing words demonstrate how he was spurred on by his conviction about the Lord Jesus being the power and the wisdom of God. And that what we read in this final chapter, although they seem mundane and trivial, is just an extension of his commitment to his Lord. So let's, um, uh, let's have a look at um, the start of this chapter, verses 1 to 4. Here, Paul speaks about making financial contribution, the contribution that he was seeking to raise uh, from the Corinthian church in order to help the poverty stricken Christians in Jerusalem. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but that in Acts chapter 11, you find that there was a severe famine throughout the whole Mediterranean world, and the Christians in Jerusalem faced a financial hardship. So, Paul wanted to raise money from, from the Gentile churches in order to help them. Now, in one sense, um, nothing, nothing is surprising about this. <clears throat> this is what any Christian would do in a situation like this. And we often do this when we hear that there are uh, financial difficulties and uh, some disasters. We put to respond and we raise money. But I want to see how Paul speaks about this same matter in another part of the Bible, Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 25, you can write it down in there a little bit later, I'll just read it out here. Romans chapter 15, verse 25 to 27. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. But they were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to for if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Yeah, you can see how Paul regarded this matter as an expression of the gospel unity between Jews and Gentiles. Gentile Christians came, uh, what became part of God's 
families who were preaching the gospel by the first disciples of Christ, who were all happened to be Jews. And the gospel rang out, so to speak, from the Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And given the long history of the hostility between Jews and Gentiles, this was a sign of extraordinary generosity and grace from God. And the news of this divine grace came to them through the generosity of the Jewish Christians. Now come back to uh, 1 Timothy 16 again, have a little verse 3, chapter 16, verse 3. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Now, the Greek word that is translated as gift in the ESV Bible uh, is actually the word that is commonly translated as grace. It is the same word expressing what God has done for us through Jesus' death and his resurrection. In as much as they were the beneficiaries of God's extraordinary grace and the sacrificial generosity of the Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians were also to raise his money as an expression of their gospel generosity towards their Jewish brothers and sisters. And for it to be a proper expression of grace. Paul gives instruction in verses 1 to 4. Now, he says, on the first day of the week, they were to set aside a certain portion of their income and store it up, etc., etc., which they intended to urge them to make their day to day financial decisions in light of their gospel priority. Now, he mentioned the first day of the week. Paul seems to be saying, before you spend your money, your income on other things, make this your priority of the week. Now, as we reflect upon Paul's comments, a few questions to bring spring up our mind. How important is the gospel priority for you in making financial decisions? Does how you spend your money properly reflect your deep appreciation of God's extraordinary grace for you? Are your financial decisions shaped and driven by the gospel? Are we as a church making sure that we allocate money we raise for offering which you give as your uh, expression of your, your gospel generosity in a way that expresses our commitment? to the ministry of the gospel. Now, I understand that here, Paul is not necessarily discussing the offertory that we know. The subject matter here is not the financial contribution we make to the church ministry. But the principle is the same, isn't it? In thankfulness to God's extraordinary grace, we are to express our commitment to the gospel in how we spend our money. Now, I hope that you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you should never go buy a house or go on legacy holidays or seek to provide private school education for your children. Look again in, in verse 2. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something else aside, uh, something aside and store it up as you may prosper so that there will be no question. This short phrase, um, uh, as he may prosper, is a little bit tricky to translate 
you might understand that its name in Philippine means is linked up as or what business invested as much as possible. I think what Paul means here is something like as you exercise your gospel freedom of wisdom in making your financial decisions in a godly way. How that might look will different uh, for different people because we all have different um, circumstances and needs. But one thing is clear, isn't it? We have to express our commitment to gospel even in how we spend our income. We have to put our money where our hearts first. So are you doing that? Are you spending your money where your heart is? And this is the same thing in how Paul speaks about his travel plan in verses 5 to 9. See how he mentions two reasons for visiting the Corinthian wanting to visit the Corinthian church. He sought opportunities to preach the gospel elsewhere, and he wanted the Corinthians to participate in his work through their financial contribution. I want you to, I want you to help me so that I can actually go and do this work elsewhere. But at the same time, he wanted to minister to them in person as well. He was hoping to stay for an extended period, as you can see in verse 10 and verse 6. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. But I not want uh, to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord wants. Now I think some all the problems uh, in this church and witnessing their spiritual immaturity. Paul was not filled with frustration or feeling despair. You know how sometimes uh, we can fall into the trap of thinking negatively about church. Uh, we get discouraged or even disgusted by some people. We quickly get judgmental and become spiteful. And we end up moving on to another church to, to look for a good enough pastor, so to speak. But not so with Paul. He was not afraid to speak the truth to them in the field, and yet he remained warmly affectionate and was filled with thankfulness to God for them. And he longed to visit them and spend time with them. How amazing is that? But let's read on in verse 8. But despite all this, uh, my longing for you and my. my um, to invite me to take part in my ministry, I'm going to nevertheless stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide course of effective work as open to me. At first, we might be excused to thinking that he was torn between two very glasses. The prospect of visiting the people that he longed to see on one hand and enjoying the fruitful ministry of Ephesus on the other. See what else he wrote at the end of verse 9. And there are many Ephesus. I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because the Lord has opened me to do a fruitful ministry and there are many Ephesus. Now, 
this reminds us how he spoke about his Ephesian uh, ministry in chapter 15. I don't know if you remember this, but he said, I was fighting with peace at Ephesus. Undoubtedly, he was referring to all the painful hardship that he had to endure from those who opposed the gospel and persecuted him, which we read in Acts chapter 19. It would be more appropriate for Paul to write, I can't wait to get out of this wretched place to Ephesus to come to you for a bit of a holiday. But leaving Ephesus and coming to Corinth was jumping, was like jumping from one fire into another. Because Paul knew that there was so much pastoral work waiting for him at Corinth. I'm hoping that we'll get a chance to have a look at Second Corinthians sometime in the future, but. Second Corinthians is a testimony to how much trouble and heartache Paul had to suffer from the Corinthian church in his subsequent dealings with them. And yet, from these passing comments about his trouble plan, we see the apostle unfazed, unflinching, and relentlessly pushing on with the gospel. Here is a man who is consumed by passion, the gospel passion, being shaped and driven by his love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read, as we read these words, we are presented with an opportunity to examine ourselves and recalibrate what we are doing with our own lives. Now, in hearing all this, you might be thinking, well, and this is really too much to get over there. I can see that this is the writing for Paul, but I'm not. I have a family to feed and a mortgage to pay. Isn't this just for the people who are doing full time ministry like Paul and Apollos? And Paul next in verse 10 to 12. Well, yes, uh, Timothy and Apollos, because was, they were the pastors, and what Paul wrote about them demonstrate how they too lived out their gospel convictions. You know, Paul introduced to Timothy in, in verse 10 as the one doing the work of the Lord as Paul was. And therefore, Paul asked the Corinthian church not to despise him, but to uphold him. Uh, as we know, the church was plagued by, by spirit of rivalry and faction. They were arguing about who was more mature and deserving of more recognition. And to them, Paul sent this young apprentice or minister, Timothy, uh, as he was mentioned in chapter 4, verse 17. That's why I sent Timothy to you, my beloved. This is why I sent to Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my way in Christ. It was like throwing this poor little boy into a lion's den. What a tough job it must have been for young Timothy to visit Corinth on Paul's behalf. But he went for the sake of the gospel for the Christian Christians to build them up by teaching them, by rebuking them, by urging them to listen to the Apostle Paul and observe the kind of life the Apostle was living. Yes, Timothy and Apollos, they were ministers, and this gospel faith driven life was not just for, the, for them. Notice what it says uh, in verse 15 to 18 uh, about. Uh, Stephanus and his household. Uh, they were the first 
first converse in the whole of Arcadia, Arcadia was originally there, but Corinth was part of. And they, this ordinary Christian household, devoted themselves to the service of the saints and leading those two things. They were committed to building others that other people up. Their work was so valuable to Paul that he wrote in verse 18 that his spirit was refreshed by him. As far as I know, where Stephanus and his household are mentioned only in this letter in the whole of the New Testament, so they were not, they may have been a wide not. But notice what Paul said at the end of verse 18 recognize or give recognition to such people. In churches, who do you think should be honored? Should the church be different to the world in, in honoring to him, to the leadership, and the recognition he given? Well, obviously, to those who live according to their gospel convictions, those whose lives demonstrate their understanding and their deep appreciation of God's grace to them in Christ Jesus. Not because they are rich, not because they hold high position in the world, and not because they are successful, attractive, or very charismatic, or popular, or boisterous. Not because their life, but because their life is shaped and driven by their love for the Lord Jesus, who came as a servant to give his life as a witness, and therefore willing to give their life for the sake of other people. Those people who labor and work hard amongst us for the sake of other people. They are the kind of people who need to be given the recognition and deserve honoring in our congregation. Now, in the middle of this, in verses 13 to 14, Paul mentions the five commands which at first glance seem a little bit out of place. He wrote, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now, they may appear to have a little association with what came before and what came after, but I think they are a short but fitting summary to the whole letter. And they're all very Christians to look up those so-called wise and powerful by the Lord's standard, who promote nothing but arrogance and rivalry, we urge them to look out for the, the old leaven of sin which corrupts the whole church. Being watchful was Paul's call to the Corinthians. He urged them to stand firm in their faith, in their faith by, by um, from the lure of sexual immorality and idolatry. He urged them to stand firm by seeking to live their life uh, that the Lord has assigned to each person rather than feeling educated with uh, contentment and ending other people. Standing firm means living their life in obedience to the gospel rather than seeking your dreams and hopes and aspirations and always being ambitious and never feeling content with what God has given you. Call those Corinthians to grow up and become mature or act like men and not by 
trying to fall within the understanding and their thinking and their behavior is strictly as they exercise their spiritual gifts. Grow up, he said. Don't be like a child. It's not about you, but it's actually feeding other people. They would be strengthened by the power of God and not rely on plausible words of wisdom or any other human treatment. They were reminded that God raised the Lord Jesus Christ and He will also raise them by the same power. Be strengthened by God's power. Be strong. And above all, Paul urged the Corinthians to remember that love is the greatest of our faith and hope. Everything that we do as Christians must be done in recognition of God's love for us and as an expression of our love towards other people as we seek to serve them by building them up to be more like the Lord Jesus. Shaped and driven by the gospel of the Lord Jesus is a life that God has put to us. It is a life that Paul demonstrated for us, and he is urging us to imitate him as he imitated the Lord Jesus. May we all be ever so Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the things that we've learned and reflected that in reading the one thing comes. Father, we are reminded once again how the gospel should be the one that is shaping us and driving us. Father, we want to be the people who are transformed by the, the gospel of your grace as we seek to extend our grace to other people. Father, we are hoping and praying that our love for the other people will be translated into our concern for their salvation. Father, give us such a mind that we pray to them seeking every possible opportunity to maintain their trust and invite them to turn to him and thank him with us. Father, we long to be a church that a possible way that every member of the church is transformed by the news of your kingdom and all Jesus. Father, help us to continue seeking and serving one another in love that will rely upon your power uh, to bring glory and honor to our Lord Jesus. Father, we long for such transformation. Father, we thank you that there are so many people amongst us that have understood your grace, who are living their lives in a manner that is worthy of recording the day of this year. Thank you for the brothers and sisters who work so hard Committing themselves in the ministry of the gospel amongst us. We thank you, Father, for their hard work. Please give us wisdom to recognize them and honor them and to imitate their lives. Father, we pray that as a result of our Christian fellowship, we might be seeking to serve and love each other and build each other up so that we may all grow into the fullness of our. 
instance. As we seek to reach that human point, the resurrection that the Lord Jesus promises, Father, we pray that you might guard us, that we might be watchful in the future, that we have a life to please you more. 